Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a joy, what a privilege it is to be together in the house of the Lord. And I'm so proud of each of you for coming uh, here. For those of you that are online, you may not realize it, but it's a foggy day here in Lodi. And I prayed for God to give you courage and safety as you came. It is uh, such a thrill for me to come on Sundays. I look forward to it all week to be with you, to pray with you, to hug your neck, to love on you, and for you to love on me. It's just such a wonderful time. And especially looking forward to this Sunday because not only in the morning services, but then tonight we are going to have a great service. There will be more people here In this building, on a Sunday night, you'll have to go a hundred miles in any direction to find as many God-believing people. And so I'm thrilled as we have liberty with us, a great uh, music ministry, and we're just going to have an awesome evening. And those of you that are part of our growing online family, uh, we pray you're feeling okay and that you'll be able to join us soon. And I want to challenge you to stay in this whole message now. Don't go in the kitchen and cook. Just sit down now, okay? And I've got uh, I've got a little camera focused on you, and uh, I'm watching everything you're doing. Put your phone down, all right? So don't check the TV score, the football scores, you know. Don't worry about that. You just uh, stay here. That's one of the things that's good about being in person. A lot of less distractions. And so sit there and take your medicine like a good boy, okay? All right. All right. Revelation revealed. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. This morning, the Antichrist. The Antichrist is revealed to us. Our nation, the world as a whole, is desperately looking for leadership. There is always high hopes for many that the next president will be the one who will finally get us over the top, bring about peace. Maybe it's a prime minister or even a monarch that would somehow solve society's ills. I have news for each of us this morning. The fact of the matter is, such a person is coming. And in fact, he is one who has never been seen in history like this. He will bring worldwide peace and prosperity that has never been seen. You want to talk about the stock market going up? You want to talk about... The weapons being laid down, this man is going to do just that. But, spoiler alert, he is going to be satanic to the core. In fact, as we get closer to the end, there will be a proliferation of such leaders. They will appear angelic, but are in fact satanic. That's exactly what Jesus said, and Mark, the disciple Recorded for us in chapter 13 and verse number 6. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Notice the word many twice there. That there are many who will say, I am the anointed one. And many people will be deceived. Imposters, pseudo-Christs, antichrists. But one of them will, in fact, be the culmination of all other. He will be consummate evil itself. That means, brothers and sisters, today, somewhere in the world, 
very possibly there is a child or a young person or a full-aged adult who is being groomed by the evil one to be the Antichrist. This morning, this is not some fantastical Hollywood epic portrayed on the screen. Neither is this some fear-mongering theologian's hallucination. No, not at all. In fact, it is a clear divine warning from the Word of God by a loving God that an Antichrist, the Word itself tells you what it is, Antichrist against God. This will be a man or a transgender woman who calls themselves a man who will be Satan's puppet, supremely gifted to deceive the whole world, a global deceiver, a fake peace bringer who will preach global unification. That's what we need. And what's more, the entire earth's population will overwhelmingly buy into that satanic word as they willingly fall into his clutches. Then he will attempt, unsuccessfully, as always, to take over the world on behalf of Satan. Then month after month of the most shocking, appalling, dealing of death and destruction that has ever been known to mankind. Finally, Jesus Christ will return at the end of the tribulation period. He will defeat the Antichrist and his forces in an epic battle. And again, we will recognize that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, today this world is like a runaway freight train. It is on a destination for destruction. No Christian can afford to be ignorant in these days. Just this week, the USA Today, left-leaning USA Today, on this past Thursday, ran an article called, It is a Hundred Seconds to Doomsday. They are saying, according to the annual report of the Association of Nuclear Scientists, that our world is closer to destruction or apocalypse, as they say, as never before. The so-called threat of climate change, as they call it, disruptive technology, disease has brought us closer to destruction at any time. They began in 1947 to do an annual survey. The only time that was anywhere back from midnight for some reason, it was 1991 when it was 17 minutes from midnight. Well, I got news for the doomsday clockers. It's not a hundred seconds to doomsday. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5 that the Lord is at hand. He is at hand right now. And the time is ripe for the arrival of the Antichrist. The Antichrist appears shortly after Jesus comes to take away his saints. And so if the time is right for the Antichrist, then hallelujah, that means the time is right for the rapture of the church. I tell you one thing, it's not a hundred seconds to midnight, it is seconds to midnight. The truth of the matter is, Jesus is coming today. That is the eminency of Christ. And so today, we look forward to this passage, chapter 13. Our prayer is that we'll go through the first half today, the second half next week, if the Lord tarries is coming, and then uh, that'll be our installment for this year in the book of Revelation. Let's all bow for a word of prayer, if you would. Father, thank you for the blessed privilege of looking into your word. Lord, my heart has been so blessed already, Lord, just to rise up early, spend time with you, fellowship with your people. Lord, just reach out, pray with those, Lord, the great worship time. My goodness, Lord, I've already had a revival. Now, Lord, I pray that all of us would collect our minds and our spirits. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll make this uh, a time of victory and yet a time of clarity as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelations 12 and Revelations 13 introduce three key characters. We've talked about them, or two of them. Satan, the dragon, 
then Satan's puppet today, the Antichrist, and then uh, next week, the third member of this uh, unholy trifecta, and that is the false prophet. The false prophet is Satan's sinister minister of propaganda who is going to sell the world on his regime. Now let's join together this morning and read in publicly reading in the 13th chapter. We'll read verses 1 through 10. I believe we'll benefit from the public reading of God's Word. That's what God's people have been doing since the early days of the church 2,000 years ago. And so let's read the Word of God together. We'll be reading out of the authorized version, sometimes known as the King James Version. All right, let's begin. Verse number one, out loud, let's mean it as we read it. All right, ready, begin. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power, and his seat, and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? who was able to make war with him. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues, and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, of lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. The beast. Otherwise, most popularly known as the Antichrist. He is Satan's masterpiece. A counterfeit Christ. Now, let's look at this. And let's kind of make an outline, maybe for some good memory. First of all, an introduction to the Antichrist. Verse number one. I stood upon the sand of the sea. I, most likely referring to John. As you remember, John, the beloved apostle, has been exiled to the barren but lovely island of Patmos there in the Aegean Sea, there, beautiful place. It says, I, he apparently had gone down to the beach. Here he is, he's maybe gone down for a time of prayer, a time of reading, and he was banished, so likely he spent much of his time alone, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God gives him a vision of this monster, this beast, as he's called, who comes out of the ocean, kind of like the uh, monster from the Black Lagoon. Now, how do we interpret all of this? Now, let's let me take a little note back again. This church is maybe known uh, collectively, we would say, uh, popular. We would say we're evangelical. Now, we might clarify that a little more. On a, uh, but uh, evangelical means, basically means gospel preaching. If it's gospel preaching, that means we believe in Jesus Christ only for salvation. And it means that we believe the Bible. Now, to be a true evangelical, you must believe that the Bible is inerrant. Now, when you pick up the Bible, you must read it and study it and interpret it. That way you interpret is known in theological circles as the doctrine of hermeneutics. Interpreting is important. 
So we simply do what is, and that's what a true evangelical does, a conservative does. They take it literally. The Bible is literally true. Because once you start allegorizing just about every verse in the Bible, like some of those kook balls do, then nothing means what it means. So here is the golden rule of interpretation. We've given it to you before. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, make no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. Now, sometimes the the vision is uh, a metaphor, an allegory, is uh, given to us. It is literally true, but it is a literal truth explained by a metaphor. Jesus said, for example, I am the door. He wasn't saying he was a wooden door swinging on hinges. He was saying, metaphorically, I'm in one that you enters into something else. But when Jesus said, I'll be three days in the grave... That is to be taken as three days, literally. And so Jesus spoke both metaphorically and literally, but even the metaphor uh, sustained a literal truth. And so when we come to the book of Revelation, most, most of it, much of it, is actually signs and pictures and stories and allegories. Sometimes it's explained right in that passage. Sometimes in a passage or two later, and sometimes by comparing other scriptures. And so here we find John who sees this vision. Now you're going to see some illustrations here. Those are simply uh, artist depictions of what John might have seen. That's might have, what he had seen. We have no idea if that's what he saw. But, you know, artists, they love to portray things. And kind of gives us a little bit of vision of what it might be like. And so it says that the beast came up out of the sea. And when the beast came up out of the sea, he had seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. Yikes! I'm telling you what, that is one nasty-sounding beast, monster. The actual Greek word is therion. It means a vicious uh, animal, one who rips and shreds, uh, a carnivorous animal that is a, a vicious animal. And so he sees this beast rise up. Now, the beast can be understood in a twofold way, as we'll see. It is either a person or a personification, or might we say it is both a king and a kingdom. And so the beast, Antichrist, is sometimes referred to as a king, and sometimes it is referring to actually a kingdom or a system of thought. The complexity of the description suggests that it's more than just simply a person. You might say then it is both an empire and an emperor, and sometimes they're inseparable. The old Roman Empire had Caesar. Caesar was really inseparable from the Roman Empire. They were in one sense the same. Now let's look at what it says. It says that this beast or the Antichrist, or the system that it is, comes up out of the sea. What is the sea? Well, there are several suggestions, but here is one thought, and that is Isaiah chapter 57, verse number 20. The wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and earth. And so here, then, the sea would represent People who are troubled with sin, the world. Later, in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15, we're actually even told what the sea represents. And that is that it says it represents peoples, nations, and tribes. All right then. So the Antichrist, this beast, whether it be a system or whether it be a person, it is a hideous beast, a master of disaster. Notice that he has seven heads. And ten horns, and upon his horns, ten crowns. What kind of a crazy kingdom is this? Well, we're talking about, most likely then, because it comes out of the sea, a global conglomerate of seven heads. Seven in Scripture is a term for something that is complete. Or it might be referring to a specific group of nations. For example, even now in our world, we have several prominent sevens that are out there. 
Sometimes you'll read the newspaper that there is a meeting of the G7. What is the G7? The G7, or Group 7, is an intergovernmental political forum consisting of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, United Kingdom, and the United States. It is called G7. There are also seven continents in our world today. Asia, Africa, North America, South America, Antarctica, Europe, and Australia. And so, meaning perhaps that this uh, beast who comes out of the sea, representing G7, representing the seven continents, or might be even a specific geographical area. For example, we are told in Revelation chapter 17, verse number 9, it represents seven real mountains. There it says, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, which the woman sitteth. Some have suggested since Rome was built on seven hills, that what we're talking about here is the thing that comes out of the ocean, out of the sea of humanity, is a new version of the old Roman Empire. In fact, that Rome, with all of its systems built on seven hills, is actually coming in the future. There have been seven different world powers in the past. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And if you're not getting all this down, you can get the, watch the video again, or you can get the, go on and listen to the podcast. But you'll get it. The ten horns represent uh, an animal's strength. A horn is the animal's strength and his, uh, his defense and his power. Notice we are told specifically that these ten horns are ten kings. In Revelation again, chapter 17, verse 12, God explains himself. As I mentioned, some signs are explained, some aren't, most are. Some, we have to go to other places in the Bible. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings, one hour with the beast. It, prepares, it appears then that the Satan collects these ten kings, ten strong leaders who represent seven continents or seven kingdoms or seven whatever, or a civic place. Daniel chapter 7 told how the Antichrist actually arises out of this group of monarchs. Look what it says in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 24. Really, chapter 13 of Revelation, you pretty much have to keep Daniel open and the book of Revelation open to really kind of get a sense. Look at chapter 7 and verse 24. And the ten horns of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and shall subdue the three kings. And so, somehow these ten kings will really admire one of the kings. This one king will be this real brilliant person who's such an amazing communicator and will promise peace. And they all submit to this one king and he will bring peace and then, unfortunately, terrible world destruction. Now, today there are already kings. There are already kingdoms. As I mentioned the beast sometimes represents a, a kingdom. Sometimes it re- represents a person. Today, there are governments, business, who greatly shape our mindsets. They actually really uh, change the course of humanity. Like, for example, public education, or really we might call it re-educational system. Public education is the state-sponsored schemes. They are now doing what they can to save our children from the so-called repressive, outdated values of the past. For example, many school districts now allow the extremist, antichrist group, FFRF, Freedom From Religion, to dictate policy. They'll go into a school, and if there's anything that smacks of religion, they will threaten them, even sue them. Here's one of the things that the FFRF, Freedom From Religion, has said. Religious organizations should never be allowed access to young public school children. 
That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be terrible if our school children had the opportunity to learn the Ten Commandments where it says, honor your parents and obey them and to don't lie and don't steal? Wouldn't that be a terrible? That would warp their minds. But the website claims this, erroneously so, that social and moral progress has been brought about by persons free from religion. That's a satanic antichrist system that is perpetrating into our public school systems. Then there is another beast out there. It's called the media. Or maybe I should call it the misinformational media. Antichrist's agenda is absolutely rife with fake news, glorifying everything immoral and anti-God. The miracle, excuse me, another antichrist system we see today is the medical community. Unfortunately, too many have fallen into a tyranny of twisted minds and hearts who are there to steal our personal liberties and invade our personhood of a child. Like the unhinged, maybe I might say corrupt, Antichrist Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, who said just a couple of weeks ago that a precious unborn child really is no different than a, that tragic situation of a brain-dead person. It's just a blob of flesh. Taking the life of an unborn child is a sin against God. It is also an offense against the America's democratic order. It is not a choice. It is a child. But I've got good news this morning. Thank God for the first time in 50 years, thanks to a courageous former president and many others, this baby genocide that has disgraced our nation for 50 years is about to be overturned. Thank God for that. Yes, amen. That's Antichrist, and thank God it's going to be overturned. Beastly nations like Iran, anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Jewish Iran. They are working presently at a breakneck speed after having been given the absolute green light by our weak administration to incinerate the only democratic nation in the entire Middle East, God's chosen people, Israel. You add to that the violent social justice rioters, looters and thugs in every city, folks. Truly, it is exactly as the Bible said. Brethren, these are the last days. That's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. In the last days, perilous times shall come. These are those times now. This world has been... This world is a powder keg and the match has been lit for sure. It is a king and a kingdom that is out there. Notice what it says. Second of all, in verse number two, we find not only the introduction of Antichrist, but the inception. How does it all begin? Well, here's where it begins. In verse number two, it says the dragon gave him his power. Look at the last part of verse two. His power, his seat, and his great authority. If there's ever anybody or any system that's ever been energized by Satan, this will be it. The beast, the dragon, gave him his power. Who's the dragon? Well, remember, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. There's no mistaking then who is behind the beast or the Antichrist, which is either a system or a person which is either a king or a kingdom, or both. Here it says in John chapter 14, Jesus is God incarnate. If Satan then is the Antichrist, uh, if the Antichrist is then, if he's the Antichrist, he is then he has been filled with Satan, or he is a devil incarnate. Look at John 14 verse 9. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so just as Jesus is God in the flesh, God the Son, so Antichrist is just that, Satan incarnate. He is a visible expression of an invisible devil. Remember now, the devil is a spirit. He's not a, he's not a physical entity like a human. And so he has to use a human body. 
And he definitely will. Now this beautiful predator is absolutely vicious. Notice what it says. I saw like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and the mouth as the mouth of a lion. Three ferocious animals. Reminding us, and it goes on to say, and other beasts as well. But the Old Testament man of God, Daniel, that man with an excellent spirit, he saw this same dream in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 4, the first was like a lion who had eagle's wings. Verse 5, behold another beast, a second, a bear, raised itself up. Verse 6, a leopard which had on the back of it four wings of a fowl. Verse 7, and behold a fourth beast. That's the Antichrist. Dreadful and terrible. Strong exceedingly. Had great iron teeth. This is a representation of four different nations. World powers. The powerful lion. Babylon. The strong bear. Medo-Persia. The swift moving leopard. Greece. Greece conquered most of the then known world so quickly under the hands of Alexander the Great. Swift as a leopard, and then a terrible beast. Now, if you're one of those fact-checker kind of teacher kind of people, you might note that the list given in the book of Daniel and the list given in the book of Revelation are exactly opposite in order. Well, that's because John looked back at the vision, and Daniel looked ahead at the vision. So they looked at it from a different perspective. The point simply being that the beast's Empire in the last days will be rooted. It'll have the same uh, concepts and the, the same uh, plans and the same uh, ugliness of Medo Persia and of Greece and Rome. It'll be empowered by the devil himself. Notice what it says the devil gave him power and great authority. But notice uh, it is by God, it is. It is held back by God. The devil may have given it to him, but God will hold him back, as we'll see here in a moment, 42 months. You may remember when Jesus appeared to the Apostle John in chapter 1. We talked about it. Back in chapter 1, he identified Jesus as the one who held the keys in his hands. I am he that liveth, that's Jesus, and was dead. And behold, I am alive. We sang about that a few moments ago. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Yes, Satan gives power to the beast. But I promise you, he does not have the power to take life. That is in the hands of Jesus. He holds the keys and nobody takes those out of his hands. He owns the keys. By the way, that's why we ought to give the keys of our life to Jesus and let him drive. He's good at holding the keys. And so, while the devil may have power to give, he doesn't hold the keys of heaven and hell. Number one, the introduction of the Christ. Number two, the inception of the Antichrist. And number three, the influence of the Antichrist. Notice the great appeal and popularity. You would think a man as evil and as unpopular, or excuse me, as immoral would be absolutely unpopular. But the fact is, the world just runs after this Antichrist. Look what it says in verse number 3. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and the world wondered after the beast. Oh, what a dynamic leader he will be in the eyes of the people. Words like beast, dragon, serpent doesn't sound like very appealing. And yet, the fact of the matter is, he's going to be just that, although very beautiful from the outside. But the Apostle Paul reminded us, be, walk, be careful about viewing things only from the outside. Be more discerning than that. You remember what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? He said, you need discernment as you go through this life. And boy, we need it more than ever. No marvel, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Be careful about talking about these world leaders. Oh, they talk so good. They sound so good. Your antennas need to go up. Be careful. They are transformed into an angel of light. Folks, the Antichrist is not going to be some ugliness. No. Presidential, witty, intelligent, a global charmer. Now, one of the reasons for this is going to be a backstory that everybody's going to know about. His claim to international fame 
is going to come because it says here that he was dead and he is, he's been wounded and he is healed. What is that? Well, we're not told exactly outright, but in verse 14, later on in this same chapter, it says, He that deceiveth them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had a wound by a sword and did live. Now remember, the heads, one of the, one of the heads gets wounded. These heads could be a leader. It could be a, really a system. Um, some uh, have suggested that this is a real resurrection. Well, uh, it's possible. Jesus could do anything he wants. He could allow it. Since he holds the keys to heaven and hell, he could allow Satan to do that. But I don't get the sense that that's exactly what he does. Some have suggested that it was a fake resurrection. Some have suggested that it was a nation that had long been dead, but then comes revived back again. Whatever the case, it is certainly that God, that this, this scenario just uh, makes the people wonder about it. I will say this. Now today we have, uh, in this electronic world, deep fakes. You've heard about them. They electronically take a person... They take their voice, they take their words, and they can make that person just look and say anything they want. Absolutely anything. And you can say, I heard him say it on TV. Well, that person may not even been there. But they have these ways to make these living avatars now. And so it's very possible that this leader actually is dead, but electronically they bring back an avatar of him. They bring back a, a... a, uh, a deep fake, and Satan, of course, is talking through his mouth. But the fact of the matter is, this uh, one is going to make the world wonder after him. World peace. Everything's going to be okay now that I'm on the scene. And his popularity is going to explode. Social media is going to help him get out there and about. Everybody's going to be able to see the beast and say, wow. And this witty, charming, presidential, amazing person, an angel of light, who comes back from the dead, supposedly. Well, now the fourth thing is the intention of the Antichrist. Verse 4, what is the ultimate goal? He wants to be, number one, worshipped. Four actions of the counterfeit Christ. He will deify himself. What it says in verse number 4, they worshipped the beast. Worship is the one thing that Satan has always wanted. That's why he fell from heaven in the first place. He wanted to be worshipped like God. Remember what he told Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 9? Jesus said unto them, All things I will give thee. Or excuse me, Satan said. And I, he saith unto them, All things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. That's what Satan wants. He tried to get Jesus to worship him. Jesus wasn't having any of that. You remember what the Apostle Paul said about the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4. He said that someday this Antichrist is going to come. He's going to put himself in the temple and he's going to say he is God. Who has posed and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that as God, not God of course, but as God... As God, there are a lot of people out there today in our government who are acting like they're God. As God, sitting in the temple of God, showing themselves that He is God. They will begin to worship Him as though He is actually God. But in fact, they are worshiping Satan. The world becomes a worldwide center of worshiping Satan. Do they recognize it? Probably not. They'll be, recogn- they'll be worshiping a man. Of course, they don't admit to, rec- to worshiping him. Then they'll say, we just really follow him. Well, the fact of the matter is, personality cult- cults are quite common. That's what the Red Chinese did in China. Mao Zedong became a god to the figure, to the people in China. His little red book was a Bible to billions. They fell down before him and worshiped him. Kim Jong-un in North Korea is considered a god. Fidel Castro in Cuba was deified. Famous musicians like this one here, Charles Manson, is considered an actual god. In fact, his followers killed, his 
part of what they called an apocalyptic war called Helter Skelter, based on a war between the races. They literally worshipped Charles Manson. Political leaders today with questionable ties. If you try to find out about any of them, you can't find out anything. Why? Because the social media scrubs their background of anything that might be off-color. The fact of the matter is, folks, it is a deceived and world of people worshiping those. It is an alternate reality. Well, the fact of the matter is Satan is going to deify himself. Number two, he is going to dare the God of heaven to try to put him down. Notice what it says in verse number five. He was given a mouth. And boy, do they ever use their mouths. He was given a mouth by God, speaking great things, blasphemy. Power was given unto him. Notice he's not sovereign. He can't do it on his own. It's given to him to continue for 40 and two months, only 42 months. If Satan had the power to do whatever he wanted, he wouldn't do it for just 42 months. Trust me. He would do it all the time. But he's limited. He opened his mouth. And of course they do. They're always going to blab and open their mouth. And blasphemy against God. Verse 6. In his name and his tabernacle. And those that dwell in heaven. Thank God. Even though he's doing all this. Oh smutty face can't touch God. And he can't touch those in heaven. And so he is going to on a daily basis. Use the media to just broadcast all of his sin. And his ugliness. No way is he going to be uh, cast down. Jesus calls this the great tribulation. Matthew 24 and verse 21. For then there shall be great tribulation. Such is not since the beginning of the world. Nor shall ever be. Folks, when the Antichrist, when the beast gets in power, it's never going to be a time like this. You wait. In fact, in verse 15 of that same chapter. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, that's that same moment when Satan comes into the temple as Antichrist. He displays himself. When you see that in the holy place, when the man of sin is revealed, oh, it is going to be a moment like none other. Daniel chapter 7 chronicles that same characteristic. Look at Daniel 7, verse number 8. I consider the horns. These are those kings. Behold, in his horn were... The eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Boy, I'm just telling you, public speaking is just going to flow out of his mouth because it's demonically, satanically inspired. Everybody's just going to fall. They're just going to say, oh, amazing. Because satanic public speaking sways the masses. It is not incidental to what he does, it is actually primary. His ability to communicate is going to blow everybody away. Absolutely no regard for either God or good. Another description of this Antichrist, this beast de deception, is found in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. And notice closely, it says, And the king shall do according to his will, his own will, not God's will for sure, exalt himself, mag himself, above every God and speak marvelous, not good, but terrible things against the God of gods. And look at an interesting part about verse 37. Maybe you've never heard. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Maybe he's someone who has a religious background. The beast does, the Antichrist. Nor the desire of women. Some Bible scholars suggest that the Antichrist is going to be a practicing homosexual. He doesn't want the desire of women. He has a religious background. He has no re regard for any God. He magnifies himself. And he clarifies very specifically now. Back to Revelation 13 verse 6. Notice what it says. He opened his mouth against his name, his tabernacle, and those that dwell in heaven. He attacks the attributes of God. That's why, by the way, I'm glad we just finished a whole series on the attributes of God. Over 20 uh, messages on God's attributes. And one of the goals I have this year, hopefully, is that by the end of the year, get that book out on the attributes of God. I'd love to leave as a legacy about the greatness of God. Second of all, he attacks the name of Jesus. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Folks, all across America, do you realize that the name of Jesus is under attack? Every government, every school, even here in Lodi. 
If you, as a chaplain, pray in Jesus' name in the military, you're very likely to be court-martialed or cast out. Here in Lodi, they had this big hubbub a few years ago that you can't pray in the name of Jesus anymore because some bitter atheist is going to be offended. I will tell you, folks, uh, thank God that the city council, they had a little more sense than that. Of course, they kind of waffled on the whole thing. But the fact of the matter is that kind of battle is going everywhere. We're traumatizing people because why? We say the name of Jesus. Well, I will tell you one thing. During the tribulation period, you won't even be able to say the name of Jesus. Of course, you'll be able to say Muhammad or whatever else, but not Jesus. Because the name of Jesus is something that Satan hates. I tell you one thing, just use the name Jesus in a workforce. Just use the name Jesus in a school meeting. Just use the word name Jesus and you'll find that name has power. That's why we sing about the name of Jesus. That's why we clarify we are a Jesus preaching church. He will dare the God of heaven. Number three, he will devour the saints. Verse seven, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues of nations. Again, we remind ourselves that this was given to him. God sovereignly allows this. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. He will wear out the saints of the highest one. He goes after them. No holds barred. Many of them will face a martyr's death. But he does not have the power to destroy their faith. Thank God. Romans 8 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels no principalities shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you one thing. They may go after us, but they can't destroy our faith. He will delude the masses. Verse number 8. It says, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Whose names, what's the qualifying factor? Who is the one that will worship the devil? Whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Now, let me clarify that for a moment. Who are the people that get caught up in this satanic worship? Who are the people that don't, uh, who get swept away by the beast? They are people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. What is the book of life? Simply, it is a heavenly archive that God keeps based on his foreknowledge of all who are the elect. That is, all who trust Jesus. Jesus warned, for example, in Matthew 24 and verse 24, there are going to be many false Christs in the tribulation and false prophets. Signs and wonders are going to be there. And if it were possible, thank God it's not possible, they would deceive the very elect. You'd say, well, who are the elect? Well, if you believe you're one of the elect. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Brethren, give diligence to make your calling an election sure. That's something we do. That's not something God does. That's something we do. Now God saves us when we ask by, in faith. But the idea of a person wanting to be saved but unable to, due to not being one of the elect, is absolutely foreign to Scripture. So what God is saying here is during the tribulation period, the elect won't get caught up. Who are the elect? Those are saints who get, those are people who get saved during the tribulation or as we call them, tribulation saints. What is the conclusion of all this? Look at verse 9. If you have an ear, hear. Listen up. Bud, take your earbuds out, bud. Make sure that you fear, you figure out what's going on before you get it to that time. God says, make sure that you listen. And he's wanting us to make sure we really do what we're supposed to do. And then verse 10, he closes out. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. Here, that's just a way of saying that, um, that the legal system is going to be broken. There'll be no due process. And during that period, if you get called on the carpet for anything, you're going straight to jail. No... If sins, buts about it, you're, it the, the system of the world, the government's going to be so corrupt, you're just going to be tossed in jail. He that leadeth into captivity shall go. If, you're, if you get caught up, you're in there. But he gives us a warning as believers. If, or not us, but those three relation saints, he that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. 
He's simply echoing what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. He said, don't get caught up. This is not a physical war where you have to shoot people. He said, the weapons of our warfare, as Paul said, are not carnal. But thank God they're mighty. He's not saying that you can't uh, defend your family with your gun or whatever. He's just saying, don't get caught up into the crusade of like the Middle Ages where we're going to go about with guns and try to make people be Christians. No, the fact of the matter is uh, that our greatest weapon will be prayer and the Word of God and standing patiently, as it says in verse 10, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Keep the faith, brother. Keep the faith, sister. Let Satan loose his demons and let Satan blaspheme and let him attack the name of God. Give it your best shot, devil, because I'll tell you one thing. God wins. He always has and he always will. Satan, Superman, is going to be put down. Thank God for that. Well, I am so glad that we don't have to be part of that. The Bible says the church is not appointed to wrath. And we're going to be taken out at that great time known as the rapture of the church. That should thrill us. That should fill us with the power of God. And it should instill in us a holy hope to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ. And to use our time, our talent, and our treasure for the things of God. In the early 90s, one of my favorite songs, and over the years we've sung it here many times, is known as the Days of Elijah. Worship leader Robin Marks sat down between services at his church right after hearing a message on Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones. In that church that day, they sang that little song. And that song really resonated in that church, but it also gained worldwide traction. His point was this, that in despite all the carnage, like in Elijah's day, a new day is coming, a day of hope. Christ's return. He paraphrases in that little chorus from the book of Revelation and Daniel that the coming king is coming. And he refers to the fact that the year of Jubilee was never really followed by the Jewish people. And so when Jesus comes back, it is a time of Jubilee. And that's what we're looking for. I've asked the worship team to come up here. I'm excited about singing this song with us. Let's all stand together. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. Righteousness will be restored. I'm thankful for that fact. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for this great reminder in the book of Revelation. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.